Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December 14th, 2014. I've often used the analogy of humans being, or society being, really segments and cages, all experimental uh, mice or rats, you might say, in a laboratory. That's how we really are. Every nation keeps its people into the exact state of reality they want the people to be leaving, you see, for obedience and to get big agendas through so that the little rats will go along with it all. And we do. We, we do, you see. Because it's in, in a laboratory, you've all these little mice or rats sitting in their cages, petrified of the morning, because in the morning in comes the first scientist and the doors open. And they're going to have their, their their injections of weird chemicals put into them to see what happens, or electrodes stuck in their brains to see if they can modify their behavior, make them do certain tasks, and so on. And they have no willpower of their own, no motivation whatsoever to do their own thing anymore. Uh, all these little things get done to you, etc. And all the mice can do, or the rats can do, is chatter about it and say, "Oh, here they come again. What are they going to do to us today?" And that's how the, the people are, basically, because all of our present reality comes to us via mainstream, or all media, for that matter, media itself. In the old days, before mass media, you simply had proclamations that came out as papal bulls that would filter through the churches in the Catholic age, basically, or you'd have decrees from the king who would send his town crier around different villages and towns, and he'd just state some declaration that the king wanted to, to have fulfilled, and the, the, the peasants were left to talk about that. That was their worldview. They didn't know much outside the little villages or towns, in fact, regarding other peoples and cultures, or nations for that matter. In fact, they only learned about other nations from the various wars that their own nation was involved in. That's when they learned about all French and so on, etc., so their worldview was basically a religious-type worldview with the king uh, almost uh, as an equivalent pope, basically, to keep the order of things going, what they call the natural order. You, you, everything was in, its, is in its, its place, and it stayed in its place, and you stayed in your place. And, if he, and the king wanted um, half your cattle this year, wheat or whatever, to feed his armies over the seas who were fighting whoever, generally his cousin somewhere, then you grumbled a bit about it, and that was your discussion of the media for the time being. Today, uh, you have much more sophisticated methods of indoctrinating whole populations, if not the world, at the same time by professional-type uh, media, using all techniques of, uh, of behaviorism, psychology, etc. In other words, how we think and how they can guide us to conclusions on things, but they give us all the topics to think about as well. Very little of what we hear is actually true, or else uh, a little bit might be true, and the rest of it is fake, and it's so heavily spun uh, that getting to absolute truth is almost impossible because everyone's in on the act in, in mainstream media today. Then in alternative media, you, you've got uh, people trying to analyze this, through this morass of stuff to find out what's relevant, what isn't. And so it's amazingly confusing for a lot of people. And it's quite something because we're supposedly so enlightened today. That's one of the myths, of course, we're, we're so enlightened today. We've never had such indoctrination as we have today uh, put into our minds from a very early age, right through the educational system and through all the novels you read and the fiction that you watch and what's called media or news as well. So it's very, very difficult to find yourself, never mind find out the truth about other things around you in this morass of, of a system we're living in today. Big, big powers uh, are employed full-time, thousands of think tanks across the world, to shape your minds, to shape your opinions, and even to shape your confusion as well. Many methods of creating confusion I've mentioned so many times about the whole idea of moral relativity. It isn't just moral relativity, it's all relativity, until people will say, well, my opinion is just as good as yours, and yet they have no facts 
and reasoning uh, to, to back up what their opinion might be. People simply adopt the opinions of others. And it's quite amazing, too, when they're taught, really, that uh, everyone's opinion is as irrelevant as everybody else's opinion on, on the same topic, even though they, they vastly differ on the same topic. Uh, it's amazing the same people will, will prattle on about great scientists and experts on things that the mainstream tell you to follow, and they do follow them, too. In other words, they've been taught to disrespect their own reasoning powers and logic, but to still respect the ones put forward by the top, the very guys who give you all the confusion. So it's quite funny, in a sense, to, to stand back and look at it all and to know what's going on. But these techniques were tried and proven, done through centuries, you see, that the art of creating confusion or even mystical thinking, if you like. And with all mystical thinking, you always have a power elite who give you the rules of the magical wonderland and the mazes that you might go through. And they'll tell you which ones you're barred to. You can go up this maze. You're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not doing the right stuff to get up this particular maze here. So only the, only the various hierarchies have the right to dictate down to you. They get into the inner mazes and so on. So there are many ways to control people's minds. Today it's through academia primarily. And, um, and they always put forth uh, people as the proven experts and, and lauded and proved uh, experts by their own peer groups. And we think that there's nothing, there's no uh, political or social agendas behind these. And you're so far from the truth when you, when you believe that. You you're really, really have had the mind job done on you because all systems in this reality are political and have social implications and they're motivated with agendas, etc., etc., what we think of as truth is never put out there in the form that it's put out there simply for its own sake. Now you find that this technique works so well of uh, confusion, deliberate confusion, uh, and yet through the confusion you're still taught to follow uh, expert advice. It's like the banking system. We've followed it forever, and every century they bankrupt you at least twice a, a century and, and plunder everything that you have and get away with it. And yet we're taught that this is all to do with the science of economics. Really? It's a science of economics, how you plunder people cleverly and keep getting away with it. Well, perhaps that's the, the, science, the science part, is the conology. It's all cons. The whole darn thing is a con job. And right down to getting you trained to believe, and most folk do actually. Um, it was illustrated very well in 1984 by George Orwell uh, through the propaganda campaign with the eternal war that was going on, and that's what you're in, it's an eternal war, by the way, uh, of how that's put across to the public. You're all in it together, and you're all responsible for churning out all these tanks. That was how the book was put out. Uh, and aircraft to fight the enemy and, and make so many bombs to bomb the enemy and so on. Today, it's gross domestic product, you see, and you're competing with all these other countries, another form of warfare, you see. But you're all responsible. Meanwhile, you're thinking here, you're you stacking shelves at Walmart or something. That's you, that's you doing your part for it. Did you ever really think that was your part in anything, apart from trying to get a, a measly paycheck to, to stay alive? Of course not. But, of course, the guys at the top don't see that. You're all numbers and statistics. And your job is to be part of the gross domestic product, you see. To keep your, your nation supposedly afloat. So you, so you can work at Walmart and buy the cheap goods from China, which are cheaply made, I should say, but expensive to buy. Because we're living in this age of maximizing the greed factor and maximizing the profits and have no... They've got no moral conscience that was tossed out long ago in business practice. So, and again, that's taught in university to these up-and-coming managers and CEOs. So, we're all suffering from it, and we're taught, again, not to, not to, never to, uh, to really respect and accept your own abilities to reason things out for yourself and investigate things. But you'll, you'll still take it from experts. The same experts that all have political and social political agendas. It's quite amazing to me to watch this because it's happened all down through, uh, especially the 20th century to the present time, this more advanced technique of mass media and excellent propaganda. Now, many folk can say in the Soviet system, 
really believed the propaganda, but many, many other people also uh, knew they're under a totalitarian-type regime. I mean, you didn't dare speak out or you'd be executed. And um, you had to go along with it all. Uh, but at least they suspected something was wrong because there was a, a group of kind of fat folk uh, who from academia who ran you all at the top, who had replaced the old academia that they'd killed off. And these newcomers into the country, many of them, in fact, were running the whole country. And you were doing all the work at the bottom for a better tomorrow, you see. Not for today. You'd starve today, but you'd get a better tomorrow. And that was a technique that was used, used there, but it was used awfully, awfully well. But at least in the Soviet Union, a lot of folks suspected a lot of this was propaganda. And the West is even better because they put it across uh, in a very slick, more professional manner. And most folk don't really know they're getting fed propaganda all the time. Now, propaganda used to be in the West to be nationalistic, for instance, uh, for times of war and things like that. And in between, you were always going global. And uh, once you're going global, the same techniques are used, but now you're part of the global society, you see. Uh, but it's the same techniques that are used. If you say anything about it, like, I don't think it's going to work very well, especially for me. I think we'll suffer here, for instance, in this country. Then you're shunned by the rest of them who've swallowed the propaganda. People like to belong to things where they can all agree on something, especially idealistic things. That's, that's why it's so easy to get idealism uh, to motivate masses of people into their own demise. It works awfully well. Now, I've mentioned many times in the past, and remember, keep using uh, cuttingthroughthematrix.com archive section, and you'll find lots of talks of this whole agenda, including the austerity program, um, the multicultural program, where it was supposed to go, why it was being done, and so on, why selected peoples were brought in from different countries, and so on, others excluded, etc., etc. But uh, remember, austerity, I've mentioned it many, many times from the, from the sources at the top, how the big bankers were planning to bring in an austerity for a society for ever to come, basically. How do you get to austerity? Well, you, you simply uh, decrease the v- purchasing power of your currency, and at the same time, you, you put the prices way, way, way up there until you're spending money for extra things and your little rewards for yourself uh, are gone and everything goes towards basic systems and utilities and bills and so on. That's how you bring people down. And that's what we're going, that's been, been going into since 2008 in the so-called planned uh, bank crash, which is really a, a reshuffling and consolidation of the powers that run the money system. So that's how they get into austerity, of course. We find the same social agendas all working together with uh, the first global revolution, the Club of Rome, that planned the, 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 the technique of attack to bring everything in for this authoritarian, controlled, managed world system by world experts, of course, and managerial experts on society. They bring it in by blaming man for all the world's problems, including uh, CO2, global warming, all that kind of stuff. First, they planned uh, an ice age, and it, but it didn't work out for them, so they had to go to global warming, and then that, that hasn't worked out, so they changed it to climate change. And they're still using this nonsense of CO2, which is a minute trace gas that's completely invisible. But it doesn't matter. See, facts don't matter when it comes to propaganda uh, under the guise and cloaked with scientific authenticity. Facts don't matter anymore, you see, because there's emotional uh, uh, involvements with this, you see. And I'll touch tonight, for instance, on some of the, the stuff to do with climate change and the big meetings that are going on, of course, and have been going on for the last week or two. And this article here talks about, uh, it's quite interesting, you always have various, uh, very uh, uh, legitimate sounding names for things which have nothing to do with the average person. Like this one comes from the Council of Canadians, which is an NGO group non-governmental organization that gets its funding from different places, probably from the government as well. And there, there are a few uh, degrees left to Karl Marx. But it's, it's a CO, that's a carbon uh, dioxide, of course, P20 in Lima, actions and finance, but no action on finance, it says. Much has changed since I wrote my last blog. This is the author talking. We are a quarter of the way into negotiations here at uh, COP20 in Lima, and we're near the end of the day four, the UN climate talks, it like to reflect on the past few days. 
So here's this Council of Canadians. That's nothing to do with the average Canadian because no one votes them in. And it's an NGO special interest group. It says, this week has provided a steep learning curve. It says, on any given day, the meeting schedule alone has at least 80 events between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. This is per day, 80 events. What you find with these things, they have workshops and that for all the followers who are used, you see, the useful tools. And uh, they give them workshops on how to brainwash other folk and how to alter, uh, say, their local councils and so on for their village or town or whatever to get them all on board with this. Uh, it's it's uh, the same techniques they use for the Soviet system, actually. And so, anyway, additionally, we attend stakeholder meetings with representatives from the Canadian government, daily briefings, as well as additional meetings with other youth delegations and groups present in Lima, all non-governmental organizations along with your government reps, you see. And you don't vote for any of them. If I don't, you don't even vote for your government. You think they think you do. It says, in the daily stakeholders' meetings with the Canadian government, we're consistently seeing questions around Canada's commitments for COP21 in Paris. National commitments come largely in the forms of intended... Now, listen to this. This is how they confuse the public, because they'll put these little things out in the, the mainstream press without explaining what they are. In the form of intended nationally determined commitments, INDCs, you see... Proposals on which are due in March 2015. When an observer asked the Canadian reps about whether or not they would make the deadline and expressed concerns that Canada be one of the, the only high-emitting nations in the world to miss a deadline, the representative assured us they would complete the application in the first quarter. Let's hold them to that. And then they prattle on again about uh, the climate treaty uh, in Paris 2015. So you have this kind of gobbledygook spewed out there by those with vested interests and, and paychecks, of course, to do with this great myth of uh, the great climate change or man-made climate change that was drummed up. Uh, the idea was drummed up by the Club of Rome. They were the guys that hit on it. And I've read the, the quote many, many times. And then it goes on here, this article too, to do with um, deals salvaged at the United Nations climate talks in Peru. And it says, watered-down deals struck after marathon talks at UN Climate Talks. And it says, um, it goes on to talk about various uh, watered-down deals, etc., etc., with the developing nations. And then you go into, you go back, you have to go back at the times, you see. As I say, facts don't count anymore, so it doesn't really matter. But you can go back and, and, and look at, the whole hoax of the global warming that fell flat. But it doesn't matter because it's, it's an agenda that's important. And here's the thing. You, you'll think to yourself, well, the IPCC, uh, that's a, the United Nations uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC. They can't all be wrong with all these thousands of scientists, you see. Really? You've never studied any of your history, have you? You really haven't studied it. Uh, I mean... Here's an article that goes back to 2012, March 22nd. This is Fox News. Mammoth New Green Climate Fund wants United Nations-style diplomatic immunity, even though it's not part of the United Nations. Right? This is where all this money they're going to rip off you, you see, for energy taxes and CO2 taxes and carbon taxes. And what, imagine getting a tax on the whole planet like this Something the United Nations has been at forever Since it's set up, in fact And this is what they're using for it This is the Green Climate Fund Which is supposed to help mobilize as much as $100 billion a year That's way beyond that Maybe that's it to start to kick it off To lower global greenhouse gases I guess it's going to spray the sky with dollars And that will shade us all from the sun, eh? It says, is seeking a broad blank of United Nations-style immunity that would shield its operations from any kind of legal process, including civil and criminal prosecution, in the countries where it operates. There's just one problem. It's not part of the United Nations. Big private organization. Uh, who set it up, by the way? Well, Al Gore was involved, you know that. And the Rothschild family in Britain were involved. In fact, the, the, the Lord Rothschild put it forward in the British Parliament. And all the big cash cow that's going to come from every one of you suckers there as you get milked is to go through their own private bank, the family's private bank in Switzerland. Wow. And you think you're democratic. Who tells you? People like the Rothschilds and Al Gore. 
So it says whether the fund which was formally created at the United Nations Climate Conference in Durban, South Africa last December will get all the money it wants to spend is open to question in an era of economic slowdown and fiscal austerity. I mean, poverty, you're going to poverty. Its spending goal comes atop some $30 billion in fast startup money that's been pledged by United Nations member states to such climate change activities, it says. So that was back in 2012. And then you have this article here. United Nations Climate Organization wants immunities against charges of conflict of interest, exceeding mandate, among others. And... Um, and that's quite interesting as well, because uh, you find that, uh, what's the others? What's, what's among others? Well, they want all the scientists to get protection and immunity from all the lies that spilled out in the past in case folk want to charge them down the road with lying. And you say, well, scientists can't lie. Oh, really? Really? Social agendas, big bucks. Great paychecks for the rest of their lives. Yes, they can, and they have. And read history, you'll find out that's true. Anyway, it says, despite its name, the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or UNFCCC, legal experts ruled 2006 it was not to be part of the United Nations system for organizations that's enjoyed diplomatic and legal immunity since the end of World War II. Now it's scrambling to figure out how to get them. A meeting of a UNFCCC subsidiary in Bonn last month agreed to forward a new uh, draft treaty covering the issue to another meeting in November. Quite some, me. Eh? And then, too, it's more detailed here from what's up with that. It says, UN Climate Change wants immunities against charges of conflict of interest exceeding mandate, amongst others. The organization responsible for managing a global cap-and-trade system worth billions of dollars for carbon emissions projects around the world is trying to get sweeping illegal immunities for its actions, even as it plans to expand its activities dramatically in the wake of the United Nations Rio Plus 20 Summit on Sustainable Development, which starts June 20th. That's again 2012 this was written. It says... uh, Despite its name, the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or UNFCCC, legal experts ruled that 2006 it was not to be part of the UN system of organizations that's enjoyed diplomatic and legal immunities since the end of World War II. Now it's scrambling out to, uh, to figure out how to get them. A meeting of the UNFCC subsidiary in Bonn last month agreed to forward a new draft treaty covering the issue to another meeting in November. Internal UNFCCC documents examined by Fox News show that, amongst other things, top officials hope to use those immunities to avoid challenges in the future based on such things as possible conflicts of interest in their duties, because so many of these uh, sharks up there have investments in these various um, Exchanges to do, and I mean financial exchanges for climate taxes, carbon taxes, and so on, and it's, it's big business for them. Breaches of confidentiality in their work, and uh, in other words, we've had that before when it was exposed from what came out from Britain, from East Anglia University, and others, as they all scrambled to hide their lies as they were making up all the nonsense. These supposed scientists, tenured scientists. Big, big paychecks from your government and so on till they turn out lies and they were they came out from the leaked emails and so on. So breaches of confidentiality in their work. Uh, so they get immunity for lying. Violations over the due process rights of those affected by UNFCCC actions and making decisions or actions that are beyond the legal mandate of the organization or its uh, sub- subsidiaries. Well, if any of you had a vote in any of this... Well, of course not. And you never will, folks. You never, ever will. The United Nations is not a democratic uh, system. It wasn't elected by the peoples of any country. It's quite something. And you think, well, the scientists can't all be wrong. They're all employed by them. Oh, Really? Where would these particular scientists be if it wasn't for this big magical thinking theory of global warming or man-made climate change and so on? Where would they be, these folk? I mean, they couldn't get a job, for goodness sake, reading the weather on the the TV news. They wouldn't get massive grants and big money thrown at them like crazy to sit in their their maximus there and, and... 
and, and spiel off nonsense, paper after paper, repetitive stuff from what the other scientists, their own scientists have said already. That's how it works. That's how it's worked in other countries. As I've mentioned before, totalitarian-type regimes were big experimental basins for all of this kind of technique, you see. And, uh, for instance, he's not, I mean, this people in mind of something, and it was called, it was called Lysenkoism. For those who don't know it, um, it was a, used as a political uh, control exercise over uh, agriculture, basically. Now, the Soviet Union had tremendous problems uh, from its very beginnings with uh, with food. Before that, the Ukraine and other places were, were, had, were putting out world crops, world record crops across, then in the Bolsheviks and so on, and, so, and then they turned to the Soviet Union. But they were slaughtering off uh, the small peasant farmers until nobody was farming anymore. And the folk they were putting into it were all theorists who had no, no practical uh, knowledge of how to farm, for instance. And so the starvation was there. And what peasants were left were either being executed or the grain stolen off them and they were left to starve to death like they did in the Ukraine. It was deliberate starvation, all planned again. And uh, along comes, uh, um, really, uh, Lysenko. Uh, he was his Trofim. His name was Trofim Lysenko. Now, it, this was the age of how to... There's a big debate going on at the time in the West to do with inherited uh, genes and how your inherited genes could possibly affect your intellect, for instance. And um, since the Soviet revolution was used by a small minority of a different elite, actually, who moved into the country uh, and taken over, but technically it was supposed to be by the people, a a people's revolution. And the idea was that they could all eventually be, be trained uh, and, and, and into intergenerational groups in, into, into the Soviet man the, the true Soviet man Anti-fascist And anti-bourgeoisie Etc, etc And, and their intel- intelligence would fully bloom You see, they really believed it would just innately bloom And that spread all the way down to agriculture You see because uh, at that time, a lot of uh, agricultural genetics was, was how they were pushing on, on the, the various theories on how genetics works and so on, from the Mendelian theory of grafting, etc., into eventually genetic manipulation, which we have today of actual agricultural crops. But anyway, uh, Trofim Lysenko uh, came out in the 1920s, 1928, I think it was, and uh, he said he had new ways to do things. And the idea was that he would, he would force, he would force, uh, basic crops, corn and so on, to evolve, you see, forced evolution through almost a torture technique of, of, of freezing the seed, soaking the seed, freezing it and so on, and, and it, would, it would force it to evolve and, and, and to, to grow in places that were so bitterly cold, etc., it wasn't grown before. And uh, this technique w- w- was given the authority initially by Lenin and then by Stalin. And Stalin had uh, colleges and universities opened up in this Lysenko's name. He couldn't speak out against Lysenko, who was a true believer in communism. And um, he made many speeches against his adversaries. But uh, he, he truly believed that... See, the whole, the whole key was that, that he could force ordinary... ordinary this is the, the basic common seed... To adapt and grow in places they weren't meant to grow in, and uh, if that could be done, there it would disprove the whole idea that humans were much the same. That your intellect, etc., came from genetic inheritance. That was that was the big issue, a political, social issue. You see, and therefore there was big, big battles. But but all his opponents eventually were slaughtered and tortured, and other scientists were tortured as well if they didn't agree with this. Because thousands of scientists were churned out, agricultural scientists uh, from the Senko Institute and so on, uh, who were sat on big fat paychecks as well, who simply regurgitated the stuff like Senko had, and, and, uh, and they got all the awards and everything else for regurgitating the same stuff over and over and over again. The same thing with the climate scientists of today, folks. Yes, scientists can lie their teeth off to you for big fat paychecks 
and they've done it before in other countries for other social political agendas. Now what happens with Lysenko's theories and ideas? Well, initially they thought they had some gain in produce from all the farms across the Soviet system, only because the government and the military were forcing uh, the workers to work in an orderly fashion and actually produce. Before that, they were holding stuff back. They didn't want to produce a lot because it's all been taken from them. So yet false results, you see, of a little bit of an increase. But still in the northern climates and stuff, the, the seeds, etc., simply wouldn't take off because they weren't meant for that region. Now, you know, too, that a few years ago, uh, there was a big hullabaloo about the United Nations group again that was going around the world collecting the natural seed supplies from different locales across the planet where the, 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 these particular seeds were adapted for the exact area in which they grew. Uh, so that, that we know for a fact that's what you need for the area in which you live, you see. There was natural seed, not genetically modified seed, done by laboratories. And uh, they put it into um, uh, inside a deep, deep base inside a, a, an island, basically off Norway, for safekeeping for their future. You know, starting up the world in case they wipe us all out in the meantime. So Lysenko's uh, whole deal, uh, even after he, he was dead, uh, still went and, and along with as a law, because once mandates are in uh, big social uh, totalitarian regimes. And through the governmental system, you can't speak out against it even way after the, when the guy's dead, for instance. They were still killing folk in the 60s and during the, the Khrushchev era for, for basically uh, saying his theories were all wrong and his data was skewed. And he fudged a lot of it because all these characters you see with the big social mandates... Uh, have no problem fudging their findings. We found the same thing with the, the, the climate scientists at the East Anglia University and others as well, with the leaked documents that came out a few years ago. So, yes, folks, scientists can lie all the time. It doesn't matter what kind of scientist it is either. You find the ones that are put forth as scientists of the mind, etc. Oh, yeah, they can lie and fudge, and they'll go by statistics. Now, their departments and marketing strategy... Which, use, uh, which teach courses on how to use statistics, how to fudge statistics, and how, how, how to come out with the required type of statistic for the thing you're trying to push. There's nothing out there you can actually believe about it unless you did it all yourself. And that'd be impossible, doing surveys of thousands or millions of people. So you've got to start thinking for yourself and stop believing everything you're being told and just putting a question mark everywhere. And the, the, the best thing is, is actually when you're given information is to see, now why are they putting this out there? What's the intention of this? Generally, the intention is for you to part it and believe it. That's what they hope to, for you to have. And they've even had scandals in the past with the big NSA group, or the guys who run and own the NSA, who also own Google and all the other social media institutions out there, uh, that put out bad fake news a while back to see if it depressed people. Then they followed them on their chat and Twitter accounts and so on, and to find out if it was working. Of course it was working. So they're constantly checking you in real time now as to, is this working on you or not? It's quite amazing, isn't it? Even down to the little tick boxes, like or dislike, or agree or disagree, and so on. And if you disagree, they'll find out how many folk like you disagree and try to find out why you disagree so they can tweak you a bit more so you will agree. They can rectify their mistakes with the next lot big test to do. It's quite interesting how we truly are the rats in the cages in the laboratory. And the only difference is the rats in the laboratory, even though they're specially bred and domesticated to be domesticated and not bite all the time, have a bit of instinct there. They don't like uh, getting handled in order to be injected or have probes in their brain or, and eventually killed. All experimental animals, remember, are, must by law be killed after the experiment. So what are they going to do about us, eh? Well, we die in other ways, of course. And the death rate really is speeding up now with cancers. Oh, used to say exploding, but it's beyond the word exploding uh, because there don't even enough uh, enough new terms for the different kinds of of cancers that are, are are just popping up all the time. We've been poisoned. We've been inoculated to death almost, uh, and so on. We've been bioengineered through various 
chemicals that have feminized males and made women more aggressive, along with the social indoctrination to make women more aggressive and the guys more weak. And that was all predicted back in the 60s that that would happen, by the way. Everything is a social agenda. Even, even when it comes down to the pretense of freeing people up or whatever else, there's another social agenda behind it. Always. Always. You're on a chessboard and you don't even notice they're a pawn in the game. Now, another thing, too, I was thinking about was Lenin's brain. Lenin, you know, the great Lenin, you know, the guy who was parachuted in from uh, a few other countries into what became the Soviet Union. And uh, they did it for a department. They built him a tomb, for instance, a stepped pyramid tomb, a ziggurat type, and put him on display like a pharaoh, basically. And no one ever asked why. Well, you have to go to, to Lenin himself and the, the folk he was related to, perhaps, to find out why. But then you also find there was a department, an official governmental department, where a scientist was appointed every so often for a term, and he was in charge of, of uh, dissecting and by slices Lenin's brain and writing up on how, how more advanced and, and, and wonderful his brain was and look at those pyramidal uh, little shapes on the, on the surface and so on that are far superior than anybody else's etc etc and then they made a collection of other folks brains as well that had been high servers of the Soviet Union scientists and various social promoters and so on etc etc and they actually have documentaries out now you can go in and you'll see cupboards full of these brains you see and the fact was, but, but they, 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 gave, they gave awards, you know, various orders of Lenin and so on, to the guys who were cutting up little slices of Lenin's brain for writing such wonderful glowing reports of the superior intellect and all the rest of it. And meanwhile, we, it's discovered, of course, we kept it really quiet for a long time, that, 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 that Lenin was riddled with syphilis. And syphilis goes for the brain, folks. You don't want a brain like Lenin's, believe you me. And apparently he picked up the syphilis when he was uh, do, doing his um, egalitarian thing around uh, Paris for a long, long time. And uh, he picked it up there. But uh, so, so you have folk really who are madmen, of course, who are glorified by, again, scientists who make an awful lot of good money off it for their whole careers, doing things like slicing up his brain. And uh, it's quite amazing. It's quite amazing for us to be taught who to worship. That's what it is, isn't it? It all comes down to who to worship. All these wonderful, wonderful saints of science. Amazing, isn't it? And today you have to worship the top climate engineers. Climate engineers and scientists. Who all part the same stuff as the ones before them and, and their peer groups. Because they know what's politically correct and what brings in their big cash cows to themselves personally. And they get status they'd never have if it didn't go along with all this stuff. They simply wouldn't have the status. Lots of them will do it. We've got to stop being so naive and thinking people are as naive as you or as nice as you. No, they're not. No, they're not. The folk who get to the top of any kind of field generally are pretty well tyrannical and psychopathic folks. And psychopathy is far more prevalent in various degrees than, than you're, you're giving, we give it credence for, or credibility for, in fact, because the top managers and, and big corporations probably are all under the category of psychopathy. And psychopathy doesn't end with them. It also goes into other fields and areas, too. There's different kinds or categories, put it that way, of psychopathy from inadequate psychopaths. To, to even hysterical psychopaths, attention-seeker type who become actors and actresses, or, in the same category, by the way, are politicians. What do, what do actors and actresses do? They play the parts of others using emotion, uh, emotional expressions, which they don't feel themselves, or, or you'd crack up if you played all these different parts and really got into the part. But they like to do that because psychopaths study, they study emotions of others because they don't really feel them, but they're fascinated that other folks do have all these expressions and so on. So they're very convincing. And what do politicians do? They feel your pain and put on all the expressions as well as they fleece you and do their master's bidding. And you're not the master, remember. They lie with ease. And any criticism runs off their back. A normal person running for politics in the dirty business of politics 
once it comes down to character assassination by opponents, uh, would melt. You'd melt. You'd melt away in shame. But a, but psychopaths, no, nope, it's water off the duck's back, as they say. And there's no shame whatsoever. There's no blushing. There's no off to hide themselves. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen at all. And so we, we go into this society, we've been going for a long, long time, of casting off all the old morality. Uh, the worse it's become. When I was pretty small, when any politician was caught in any kind of scandal, they immediately, before any inquiries, stepped down. That meant they gave up their position in the whole. But that was the last you heard of them. Without the inquiry, before inquiry, before any uh, concrete accusations came out, uh, they stepped down because the shame was meant to be too much. Because supposedly... And this is the key of politics. They're supposed to have the high ideals of what the society is given. It doesn't matter if no person can actually match up to it completely. The fact they're supposed to be epitome, uh, epitome of high ideals and so on. In other words, if these guys are going to help run your country supposedly and be very responsible to you, then they should show responsibility in the way they behave themselves, you see. But today it doesn't matter doesn't matter at all. Whereas Bill Clinton with the, I didn't have sex with that woman, to all the other hosts of scandals with politicians sending pictures of their willies across the internet to, 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 to whore somewhere. That's how bad it is today. And these folk you're trusting to, to manage your financial affairs, supposedly, then the finances of a country in their best interests at heart. Are you kidding But then we know these characters aren't running the country in the first place. They're simply putting forth the bills and laws that their masters, the true masters, put them there for. That's all they have to do. Everything else is scripted for them by professional scriptwriters, by advisors who are more in the know of the big agenda than the front man himself. The, the, the advisors have to know the big agenda, you see. By the way, where did they teach all these world globalist advisors? I mean, do you see a university with, uh, we turn out the world globalist advisors for presidents and prime ministers. Does ever, do you ever see anywhere? They're taught somewhere, folks. Because they're all working in concert, getting the front man to pass the same laws at the same time across the world. Without fail. And it's been that way for an awful long time. But you still think you're free and democratic. Really, really, hmm. The left and the right have always been used by the big puppeteer who pulls both strings, you see, to get big agendas through. And we're taught, of course, to, to vote for one or the other. That's how simple the system is, this or that, this or that, this or that, you see. And uh, when you see country, for as long as I've lived, actually, I've watched this nonsense going on when the economy has been stripped out of the Western countries, for instance, and massive unemployment, for instance, in Britain, places like that. Uh, and at the same time, the left was always pushing for all big UN agendas and so on that cost billions of pounds and, and, and so on. It made no sense. Why would, why would these big agendas be getting, go forward to get more and more money off the taxpayer when the taxpayers were becoming fewer they were paying more taxes and more taxes till they could hardly live, some of them, and, uh, and so on. And yet nothing changes. For instance, when you, when you read the, the articles like this one here from Zero Hedge, it talks about courtesy of the crony bus last-minute passage. The U.S. government was provided a, a quid pro quo, $1.1 trillion spending allowance with Wall Street's blessing in exchange for assuring banks that taxpayers would be on the hook for yet another bailout. As a result of the swaps push-out provision, after incorporating explicit Citigroup language that allows financial institutions to trade certain financial derivatives from subsidiaries that are insured by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corps, explicitly putting taxpayers on the hook for losses caused by these contracts. And the links to the rest of it here. Now, as all this is going on, and meanwhile, the head of the Federal Reserve and every other country too, uh, they all are one big group working for their boss. There's only one boss at the top, 
I've got us into quantitative easing, which is inflation, which is devaluation of your currency, basically. Uh, so it's got less spending power. Uh, quite simple. If it, if it costs uh, 40 cents to buy one cup of coffee, it now costs about $1.40 to, to buy the same coffee. Uh, that's the kind of technique that, that's used is to devalue your currency. And, and the same holds true for everything else you purchase. But at the same time, you've got the United Nations, as I've been reading here, uh, pushing for their, their big interprovincial panel on climate change to get more cash and get the authority going out to this group that's going to manage all these ma- this, these energy taxes of the whole planet. Massive, massive taxes on everything that you purchase will have energy taxes, the cost of energy for producing that bar of chocolate or whatever it happened to be, and the wrapper too, etc., etc. And to absolute austerity, but the left is still pushing with, with all their NGO groups, awfully well paid at the top, by the way, the fact that the equivalent paychecks at the top of, of CEOs of major corporations, these big top NGO leaders from the big foundations. So that's how the, the puppeteer manages the left and the right. Because obviously, if it was a grassroots thing that had common sense at all and belonged to, uh, quote, the people, uh, then uh, they'd say, we better back off a bit here because everybody's gone broke. So we better put it on, on the back burner for a while. Doesn't happen, does it? No, only their agenda must go through regardless of what happens to all the rest. And they've got lots of follow millions of brainwashed followers, you see. Because the people like to, 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 to belong to big mass movements. It makes them feel powerful when individually they feel powerless pretty well in their own lives. So here you are, the banks are, are going doing their usual stuff and getting ready for the next big uh, bailouts, but they've already signed agreements, most countries, for bail-ins as well to clean out your, your, your savings to get the big, big future agenda through. It's, it's, we're, we're right on the doorstep of this whole agenda here. They're going to clean you out and then bring in a brand new system where you will work much like it was in the Soviet Union system. For a while, you'll work that way and get more scientific indoctrination than the Soviet Union was ever, ever capable of doing. They've already accomplished most of the old Soviet goals. If you think the Soviet Union was dreamed up by by Lenin or Karl Marx before them, forget it, folks. (laughs) Who financed Marx, for instance? It's an interesting story. The boys behind Marx. And here they go again, you see. When they get you into a, a destitute situation and the whole country's in a warlike siege almost strategy of poverty and rationing, then in comes a new system. And like uh, George Bernard Shaw from the Fabian Society said, when we rule, you'll have to come to us to, 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 to ask why we should allow you to live. Because if you live, you better serve the system. That's what he meant, you see. There'll be no unemployment money then. You better do something and serve the system, etc., etc. So we're watching and living through amazing times as this big, well-funded and organized, multifaceted system with a big head at the top moves towards the final kill into their, their new system, you see. As I say, they've accomplished most of what was used as the Soviet goals or communist goals. They've split male from female. They've destroyed the family units. They made it almost impossible for men and women to get on today together. They've, they've, they've told one of them that they're, 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 they should be assertive, which means aggressive. And that other group have become passive, except amongst themselves, as they tap each other on the shoulder and, and act like men, or think that's what, how men would act like. So, and never mind the fact they've bioengineered them too with all the chemicals, etc., etc. But even primitive ones like bisphenol A, which was discovered back in the late 1800s, and what it did then, they knew damn well then what it, what it did to people if they gave it to them. It's all been done deliberately. Believe you me. And no heads will ever roll for it too. That's another clue. When you see no heads rolling for this kind of thing, you know uh, that this is part of an agenda, folks. The same when the, when the, the banks all went down the last time as they were fleecing and scamming with their fake, vastly inflated housing prices and so on. 
and CEOs were taking home bonuses of multi-millions at times. No heads rolled because it was authorised, you see. It was authorised to happen. Authorised to happen. Another is a setup for the bail-ins and the bail-outs, which will happen simultaneously. Well, first the governments will go forward. Oh, we're, 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 we're trying to bail them out. Oh, it's not enough. We'll have to take, do bail-ins to grab all the money in the banks. All your savings, your pensions, everything. That's how they'll play it out. And in comes a new system. They'll blow off the dust of something that was written for years ago. And put it forward, a massive omnibus bill, of course. It's always omnibus. So thousands and thousands of pages to make sure that nobody can read it. That's how it's always done. That's how it's always done. And you think you're free. Even the so-called governor of the Bank of Canada, again, so-called Bank of Canada nowadays, which again is just a collection of banks all run by the same group again. But he came out and said that the housing market in Canada was vastly overpriced, basically. He said it before, mind you, and said it again. And like it's news to anybody who's watching this stuff, you're, you're multi, a quarter million bucks for a matchstick house, really? Really? Huh? And you think that's normal too, because you're trained to believe it is so. But he said, well, if, if this bubble busts, he says, it's not that bad. It could be a soft landing. Well, what's soft to be kicked, kicked out of your home by a bailiff and you're in the concrete? Eh? I guess it's only soft if you're a bystander watching it happen to somebody else. But everything today is corrupt. It's all corrupt. The whole system is corrupt, folks. And it's all run by cons and conology. You see, masters of conology. Who trained you to be naive and to believe in it. Now I'd just like to touch on something I've talked about quite often is GERFEC in Scotland, this system to monitor every child and so on, but it's to go through all adulthood as well under different other related integrated systems. Because that's what the whole project's about. It's about the perfect socialist society run by the experts at the top. And this article here is about Health and Social Care IS Framework, Paper 4, Meeting 5, the DMB. And it says here uh, that this, this article um, is, is what it's all about and so on. It said, the need for effective sharing of information... It's all about the people, you see, the individuals. Has never been greater that if we are to reform Scottish public services as required, with advances in technology and a drive towards greater partnership working, partners with who, eh? Uh, Scotland has the opportunity to deliver efficient solutions that meet the information sharing needs of practitioners to support safe, efficient and effective care across children and adult services. Good progress has been achieved in some areas to date, but further work is needed. At a time when strategic leaders are forming new governance groups. Now, who who are these strategic leaders and who appointed them? Because the public don't appoint them. Such as new integrated partnership arrangements for health and social care. There's a clear case for sharing of operationally focused information to best support improved outcomes for people. It's also vague. You see, improved outcome. Does that mean you end up, you come out like idiocracy and, and you end up, you've got the approval stamp on you? This, is, this framework sets out the elements and considerations that will guide partnerships in developing their programs of work. Sets out a delivery plan of actions and recommendations for the Scottish Government, local partnerships and organisations and the Information Sharing Board, which owns this document and has steered its development. So it's all run by one organisation called Information Sharing Board. That's interesting, isn't it? For, for, for anyone who can really dig up all the, the data on this. Section 1 sets up the scene, scene and proposes a vision that by 2020, digitally enabled information sharing solutions will be in place in Scotland so that everyone, including citizens, I like that one, including citizens, eh, 
can be involved in health and social care can access the services and information acquired quickly and easily at the point it's needed in accordance with the law. Provider enter information once, which can then be shared and reused. Share information appropriately with the relevant people for efficient, effective, safe care. Have a common understanding of the information they share and confidence in its quality, integrity and security. Section 2 provides an overview of principles and actions around six key themes to support this vision with a detailed action plan provided in Section 3. The six key themes are building partnerships. You don't get sick of this partnership stuff, eh? Partner. The partner sounds like some not quite authentic, you know, relationship. Uh, it says local partnerships will need to consider information sharing as a key strand of their integrated governance arrangements. So it's to do with governance, you see. And we'll need to work together. And that's, that term governance, by the way, is a term the UN uses too on complete social management of every individual on the planet from birth to death. Governance. That's what they really mean by it all. And it's just, uh, so they need to work together in regional groupings where appropriate and build links with national collaboration groups such as the Information Sharing Board. They will also have to maintain close relationships with all the other organizations with whom they will need to share information in order to deliver health and social care. And it's putting people at the center of their care. They should have had a bullseye there with a little Joe Public in the middle. Partnerships will need to develop a public engagement element of to their information sharing activities. And I mean, a marketing board and public relations means that they'll spin it into a nice, cozy thing. And we'll have to consider the role that co-produced records will play in integrated arrangements, particularly in terms of involving people more directly in the sharing of their information. Ha, ha, ha. What choice are you going to have? Do you want this treatment or not? Okay. <laughs> we want to get <laughs> the people on the rack until you, you, you can find up your whole history to them. The Scottish Government will work with partnerships to investigate current equalities, rights, and how to involve people, and will develop plans for a public debate on how people should be enabled to play a greater role in creating and sharing health and care information. And it goes on to applying information governance and have their usual uh, repetition, repetition. They love to spew repetition, all these bureaucrats, you see. And it says here, the Scottish Accord on the Sharing of Personal Information. That's it. So it's reduced to SASPI. It sounds like some kind of sarsaparilla drink, eh? S-A-S-P-I. The Scottish Accord on the Sharing of Personal Information. Well, each one of these departments has their own uh, is, uh, internal dictionaries, I'm sure of it, you know will be promoted as a consistent approach to developing information sharing agreements across health and social care plans will be developed for promoting the Caldecott principles across the, the, the health and social care. And then it goes on to another one here too. It says, um, organisations should put in place plans to connect to the Scottish Wide Area Network. And guess what that's called? SWAN. The Scottish Wide Area Network. Eh? Oh, it's not wonderful. You can all picture a swan when you say that, eh? For network infrastructure services, making the swan project team aware of issues which may need to be addressed as part of this process. I wonder if they've got one called dive as well, like a, sprawl, a swan dive, eh? Maybe driven insane by, by, by vultures, eh? Something like that, of the economy. Uh, and it says here, the ISB will coordinate the production of an information sharing architecture vision based on local partnerships, repetition, repetition. You find when you see the same technique used in these things, there's, there's more, it's more bluster to try and legitimize themselves uh, than actually what they're saying they're supposedly going to be, you see. It's the same when they have to abbreviate everything into these fancy little terms, you see, to make them sound like they know things that you don't, unless you get the little internal dictionaries. Same with a lot of sciences as well. First thing you do in a science is to create a whole new verbiage, basically, that only the, the, the internal group understands or have agreed upon, so that outsiders can't quite fathom it. Oh, but they must be intelligent. They're talking a language I don't understand here. You see? So... This is one of the, the, the whole information sharing projects, you see, run by a single ISB uh, integrated uh, service board, uh, which is going to do all information servicing and so on and so on. Do you imagine the blackmailability of all of this, the power it's going to, that even little social workers can wield over people? 
to get all their data and all their relatives' data and probably get their hereditary data and all the other all that stuff. And they want to try and get the public involved in it, like the public have any say at all. As I said, do you want this treatment or not? Well, if you do, you would accept all this and sign here. That's it. And mental health is all part of it too, folks. You know, the mandatory mental health, which is all part of this GERFEC program too, the mental health part, to make sure that every child getting raised from about two months onwards is tested to make sure they've got the right opinions and everything. At two months, no kidding you. Yeah. So, Molding people, shaping them. Kind of like, again, Lysenko trying to shape his vegetables there to grow in any, any part of the planet. It's kind of like that, you see. But what power for a single operational central committee to run me? Instant data, intelligence networks completely wired into it, of course. And all police and everything else. So they can catch you before pre-crime and thought crime actually happens. Well, did you or not, were you, were you ready or not to start thinking about this? Well, I was, and I was scared, so maybe I was starting to, I was heading towards thinking about that, but did you have the thought? You see, you, know, you have all these court cases and a whole new strata of lawyers, of course, to condemn you. So this is the world, folks, of, of scientific management of the whole of society, standardizing all humanity into this, this hermaphroditic, misogynist, you know what, you see, of political correctness, so that the masters will be better served in the future. And of course, that's a whole other topic in itself. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>